everybody, Andrea here. Welcome back to another episode of the Bind Podcast. Well, as you know, in this series, we've been talking about the theme of self-worth. And we're starting here because what better place to begin our work on relationships than to begin by exploring our relationship with ourself and how we perceive ourselves in the world around us. As we move forward, I have had a theme that has kept bugging me and bugging me and just dancing in my head. And so I thought it was worth incorporating into this particular series. And that is the concept of the self as a fraud. I have one particular session with a client in mind when I think about this. Essentially what she asked me, so it's probably important you have a little bit of context and know that this individual has a position in which she is consistently pouring good advice into other people or trying to encourage others in their own walk. And so isn't it ironic that this individual has a therapist? You would think that the ones who impart all of that wise advice have it all figured out. But this is not the case. As I say to many people, every good therapist has a good therapist. And that's because we who offer wisdom to the world also need to be the student. We can't be fully teacher. And anybody who believes that they can be fully teacher and not have places where they go to be the student is probably, uh, they either are extremely, extremely together or they're lying to themselves. I don't know. Um, there, there are times like where I teeter with this because certain things uh, in my own walk, I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm solid with this. But then there's other areas of my walk where I'm like, oh, my goodness, I definitely have some areas of growth that need to happen. So I, I don't think it's all encompassing. I think it's just parts of who each individual person is. But what this person said as they were getting ready to give a speech to a group of people is I say these things and darn it, when I say things, I know that the advice that I'm giving is so sound and solid, and yet there are times when I don't even take my own advice, and I feel like a giant fraud, and it's kind of like in the back of my head comes this theme, learn to practice what you preach, and I think the response that I gave to her surprised me just as much as it surprised her. Like sometimes as we sit and we really bounce our identities off of another person, that's when the real work begins. It's not that the wisdom precedes it, but that the wisdom happens in the midst of it sometimes. And what I said to her was, well, yeah, what you're saying makes perfect sense because you assume you have to practice what you preach. But in all honesty, none of us fully practices what we preach, but I will speculate that for the most part, we are all processing what we preach. It makes me think of, um, you know, as I began my journey as a therapist, I did a lot more work back then with uh, families and their children, younger children. And uh, as I mentioned in sessions before, I, I stepped away from that and wanted to work more so with adults processing those younger parts than trying to do it in real time. Part of my understanding back then I am a type of person that I will immerse myself in research and I will align myself to the advice that's out there that best comes alongside how I identify myself as a mom. 
uh, so I tend to follow people who are more attachment-based and um, positive parenting oriented. I try not to get too much into strictness or, so to speak, legalisms or fundamentalisms of parenting. Uh, the more and more I get into this role of parenting, I uh, have a lot more space and understanding of why parents choose some of the choices that they do for their families. And so there's no judgment on my side. I've just managed to find something that I feel fits best for who I am and the goals I have for my family. That being said, uh, one of the things that I was pretty darn big on is just this idea of giving my kids their own sense of autonomy. And if you read attachment material, what you're going to realize is, is these individuals who have done the research and found the best solutions for parenting from a, an attachment standpoint is that you're really aiming for a long-term goal of cultivating a healthy relationship with your child where they can view you both as an authority that they can count on to keep them safe, but also a friend in some regards that they can count on and trust with other areas of their life, uh, especially pertaining to connection and what is safe about connections. And so with that comes a whole lot of grace for your children and very well thought out discipline that is uh, coached. It's coached discipline more so than punitive discipline. And I just love that concept. As a mom, now I will tell you, everybody, like, my kids are so different from one another. They're very similar, but they're also very different. And with my son, who is my oldest, I was very fortunate in being given a person who just, my son's just compliant because it's his nature. Like, I mean, there's no other way to say it. He is who he is. And part of who he is, is just being a fairly agreeable individual who's empathic, who uh, takes heed in direction and is willing to trust what other people are teaching him without necessarily having to challenge what he's being told and learn by doing. Oh man, is my daughter so opposite. Brooklyn, on the other hand, separate from Logan, is a child who is, because um, she's so strong-willed, and she will push, and you can see it in her eyes. Like if I if I have a stare down with this girl, and I'm really trying to stick to my boundaries and hold her accountable in disciplinary type situations, oh man, this young woman will look right back at me as though she's just saying to me, "Bring it on. If it's between you and me, it's gonna be me. And the only thing that's gonna make it be you, is if you assert your authority in a way that I can't overcome it. And that kills me. It kills me. So I say all that to say, when it came time for my daughter, I really had to switch up the way I communicated my firmness, the way I operated in managing her and coaching her. And, and this is an ongoing process. And I am kidding you not. Like, if you want me to be humble with you and vulnerable with you, I will tell you, I come to Jesus every single day about my daughter because she and I will get into these screaming matches. And as I introspect and reflect, I do a lot of reflection when I'm not with her. And after she and I may have had like a blow up where 
I'm yelling at her, right? It's the morning. I'm trying to get everybody out the door. I'm trying to remember what everybody needs, just taking care of everyone. And she oftentimes wants to fight me or scream at me. And it just goes right through me. And I I don't know if part of that is like the contrast of not understanding like, oh my goodness, I don't go through this with my son. Why do I have a child who's screaming bloody murder at me because I'm trying to get her to do the morning tasks and it's taking twice as long. So right, her her desire to move slowly is rubbing negatively against my desire to move quickly and be timely. And she and I are just, we're oil and water when it comes to our routines and it kills me. And so that would be a great area. I, I've had to pull out different parenting moves with my daughter and oftentimes I'm just not who I desire to be when I'm with her. And I really have to work hard to try to cultivate my relationship with her so she knows that when I am more firm with her, when she notices me treating her differently than I treat her brother, that my love for her is not on the table, but there is there are just certain things that have to happen. And sometimes when they're not happening, I as a human respond to it. And it's not like every response I have to a situation I am extremely proud of. That is not the case. And so that's a great area where I recognize I don't always practice what I preach. I'm not always a walking example of a mother who coaches in a way that is kind and directive. But sometimes with my daughter, I'm very forceful and abrupt, and I just require that she do what I ask of her. And so just as my client asks, am I a fraud if I get on a platform and preach something that I know in my own life I don't always practice? No, you're not a fraud. You're a human. And in life, we don't always practice what we preach, but we have a real opportunity to process what we preach. And so when you notice the hypocrisy in your own life, the way that you're living out your identity with your family, with your coworkers, are you at least willing to introspect and go to the table and ask yourself if you did something that you're feeling less than proud of, there might be some shame, there might be some guilt, but shame and guilt are absolutely pointless parts of who we are if we do nothing with them except for wallow in them. If I feel shame, if I feel guilt in those times when it is just me one-on-one, am I going in and asking myself what happened in that situation? And furthermore, what do I think could make this situation shift? It's easy for me in a situation with my daughter. My daughter is three and um, I mean, it is tough. It's not super easy, but the advantage is I have a competitive advantage because I am 30 years older than my daughter. And though she is highly independent, I have no doubt in my mind, like, I don't worry about my daughter. I really don't. Like, not in the sense of, like, can she take care of herself? I think she can. Are there some things that I worry about as her mother? Absolutely. But as far as her independence goes, I think my daughter is extremely firm in who she is. She is not afraid to stand up for herself and she is highly, highly intelligent. And I think that's part of her struggle in our relationship together is I ask a lot of her 
And oftentimes in our exchange, I don't show my trust of her. I don't even give her a chance. But in those moments when it's just she and I and we have those slower times together, like just even last night, I was packing her lunch for school and she grabbed a chair. This is a three-year-old. She grabbed a chair and she hopped up on the chair and she's standing beside me at the counter and she packed her own lunch. I mean, yes, I helped her do a couple of things, but she told me exactly what she wanted and she told me which lunch lunchbox she wanted to use. And instead of me needing to be in charge of the process, she really was just asking me to come alongside of her in the process. That doesn't always get to play out in our life together. When it's 6 in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, and we have to get out the door because I have my first client at 8 and she has to be to school by 7.30, we don't get the sacred slow. It is, it is the sloppy quick. That's what we get. And that's when we get the rawness of who each other is. And so is it possible that you can be a person who's trying your absolute best and there are just the natural circumstances of life that prevent that from happening, yes, yes. Sometimes life offers easier opportunities for us to process and live out the identity that we desire of ourselves. And sometimes we're in the midst of something that really challenges the core of who we desire to be and brings out the more carnal reptilian parts that just try to do whatever it can to survive. So much of who we are, so much of the responses that we offer this world are subconscious and we don't even think about it, right? It's subconscious. We are below the realm of consciousness. And so we can't be 100%. Nobody is 100%. But what you do when you know you're not being 100% makes all the difference. If you are willing to go to the table after you have had a negative situation happen and you haven't been able to be that 100% that you thought that you could be, can you forgive yourself? And can you process what you think you might try doing differently to, to bring out a different outcome the next time you're in a similar situation? Furthermore, don't forget, it's not just about the thought process. It's also about the body process. As I've processed my situation with my daughter, because it's probably, honestly, it's probably the greatest struggle that I'm currently battling with right now in my life. I mean, I've really been going to the drawing table asking myself, like, what gives here? How do my daughter and I figure out a better alignment of our identities how do we hold each other well? It, it, I mean, it's so funny. I know that little girl loves me to pieces and I know I love her to pieces. Like every morning when she wakes up, um, she's either snuggling with me or she's managed to sleep in her own room through the night. And, and so whether she wakes up right beside me or she wakes up before me, on the days when she wakes up before me, she turns to me, puts her hand on my face and gives me a kiss on the cheek. And she does this thing like where she softens. So my daughter has like this brash, like don't mess with me part of her. And she really doesn't let too many people be on that point. But then when she softens to me, she gives me that kiss on the cheek and says, oh, good morning, mommy. And she lowers guards and we connect in that moment, even if 
we had a rough coming together or a rough end to our night where I'm just exhausted and I'm just praying at that point, like, kid, just please fall asleep. I never resent her the next morning and she doesn't resent me the next morning. We've been working so hard to cultivate that connection that we continue to make space for one another. This is what I'm talking about. And I have to go inside of my body and check in with the different ways my interactions with my daughter causes my body to respond to it. I know that I'm going to get to the point of my identity in which I'm disappointed in myself. If my daughter and I are in such a disagreement that my chest starts to get really tight or my throat starts to get tight and I feel like I don't have a sense of control or I feel like I didn't get enough quiet time. Uh, One thing I realize about myself is I really need quiet time to process. I am a huge processor and my daughter is so high energy. She can go and go and go. And sometimes that it like overstimulates my system. And so I have to check in with my body. Where am I at? Okay, do I need to give myself a time out so I can pause, recalibrate, and then readdress the issue? Is it too late? Like we're just going for this thing. There, there are so many possibilities. But what I'm saying here is it's not just about the mind. It's also about the body. Does my body soften when my daughter comes in and she lovingly embraces me in the morning and gives me that kiss on the cheek? Is my body softening? Am I feeling a warmth in my heart? Is my sense of rage down? Have I gotten enough rest that that exhaustive piece isn't, you know, the height of who I am and where I'm at in that day? And then it becomes far more about me and my the importance of me being willing to process my experience and try to do things differently. If I know that there's a pattern that exists, remember in the last session we talked about the positive feedback loops, which are actually negative. Am I willing to notice the pattern that exists, check in with my body to see how my body is feeling, and then redirect my behaviors when my daughter starts to have a a similar behavior pattern that that makes me react some sort of way that I don't like. It's up to me to check in with those parts of myself to shift the pattern that exists between us. Why is that important? Like now, so we're talking about this self-worth piece and I use the example of a relationship with another person. Well, how you interact with the other people in your life is always going to impact how you interact with your self-identity. If I think I'm a crap mother because I teach people all day long about positive parenting solutions and then I shame myself because I yelled at my daughter and we have this loop going on between us in which I don't like the way we're interacting but I do nothing about it like I have the right to not get it perfectly but I also have the right to go in and try to figure out the negative pattern that exists and see if I can do enough self-work to try to shift it and also acknowledge what I think I actually need from the relationship with the other person. What am I asking that person for in our exchange? If we're in such opposition, what am I asking her for? And how do I cultivate that without shaming her in her identity? Guide well is a great way to walk in this. Guide well, we won't get it 100%. 
always be willing to process what you preach, knowing it's okay when you make the mistakes or when you don't meet your own bar. I hope that this was helpful today. The the takeaway that I want for you to pull from this is that there is no such thing as 100% when it comes to relationships. We're humans. You're a human. I am a human. Our children are humans. We, none of us, we don't get perfection. We get process. And what we do with that process is sacredly ours and will undoubtedly have an impact on the people in our lives with whom are closest to us or who glean pieces of who we are. I hope that this gives you some sense of hope and self-compassion and even others' compassion. And uh, next week, we'll continue on this journey of self-worth and see what I pull up in the next element of the series. I really hope you all have a great week. I hope that there's something from this session that you can pull as you walk in your journey with your families and friends and community. Be well, everybody. I'll talk to you next week.